0: I went mean, great. So as Nate said, we're in this new book, we're in the book of Hebrews and we're going to jump in at the second part of it. Uh, But the book of Hebrews is this sermon, an encouragement written to a group of Christians who are struggling to keep going in their faith. Most likely they are Jewish Christians. The writer, now we don't actually know who that is, but they reference the Old Testament many times and presumably they know that their audience has a good understanding of Jewish culture and teachings because they talk about it quite a lot. Now, these Christians that are receiving this letter, they're flagging in their faith. They're tempted to give up. They're beginning to stop meeting together and others are drifting away. Now, we all know what it's like to want to give up something, don't we? When you think, is this really worth it anymore? whether it's a school club that you've lost interest in, a job that isn't all it was cracked up to be, or a relationship that takes way more effort than you'd like it to. We all know what it's like to give up, and sometimes giving up really is the best option, to leave whatever it is behind, and to step into and move onto new things. But of course, there are times when the best thing is to persevere. And faith is one of those things, one of those times when the best thing is to persevere. In a situation where these Christians are struggling to keep following Jesus because of pressure from the surrounding culture, the writer brings encouragement to keep going, to persevere in faith. The surrounding culture is so focused on religion, pulling focus towards the important but old covenant of the Old Testament. And in the first part of Hebrews that we've kind of skipped past, the writer speaks directly to this. And they point the Christians back to Jesus as the saviour, as the high priest, as the one deserving of all glory and all honour and all worship. It's an encouragement to keep Jesus at the very centre of all things and to keep looking at the new covenant that Jesus' life and death and resurrection brings. And as I said, for our new series, we're jumping into the second part of the book. And again, it's an encouragement, but this time it's done by sharing stories, stories of people who have gone before and have lived lives of faith in God, stories of the courageous life Of faith. The lives of the ancients, as the writer puts it, teaches the readers of the time and us to persevere in faith towards the certainty of our inheritance in Christ. We are given story after story of people who chose to believe what God had said about their future. They chose to believe what God had said about their future and they also did something about it. Their belief had an impact on their actions. The way they live their lives shows what they believe about God in the future. And that's the same for us. The way we live our lives now, what we actually do with the lives that we have, says so much about what we believe about God in the future these people that we read about in Hebrews, they lived out the words from the first verse of our reading. They were people of faith who trusted God and had confidence in what they hoped for and assurance about what they did not see. They didn't see the fulfillment of all the things that God had promised to them. They didn't see the outworking of God's plan to rescue humanity from sin in the person of Jesus Christ but they had faith. And as Christians, we're called to be people of faith. And this isn't a blind optimism throwing all sense of reason out the window, nor is it wishful thinking conjured up to purely help us feel a little bit better. The faith that we're called to have is a deep-rooted confidence in the certainty of who God is and what he's already done and what he is going to do. We're called to have confidence in what we hope for. And now our version of hope is quite different to what the recipients of these writings would have known. We use something, we use hope, don't we, as something that we kind of want to happen, but you aren't really sure that it will. We might say, I hope I get this present for Christmas, And you say, I hope, because there's a chance you might not get it. That's quite a normal statement for us. What we might not say is something like, I hope Christmas is on the 25th of December this year. That sounds a little bit strange, because that's already established. But that's the way the word hope is used here. A hope that is already established, even more so than the date of Christmas. A hope that is certain because we know that the words of God are true because that's his character. The people we hear about from the Old Testament in this part of Hebrews, they weren't perfect, but they heard the words of God, they believed them, and then they lived lives according to the truth of those words. And as they did that, they had faith. I think the challenge, though, is that faith happens in the waiting rather than in the reward. Faith is built as we wait for God to do what he says he will. Faith happens in the waiting rather than the reward. Faith is trusting in God even when we can't see the full story. Faith is trusting in God especially when we can't see the full story. Faith is something that we have, but I believe this passage tells us that actually faith is also something that we do. In the waiting, we have faith and we do faith. And we're going to dive into the story of each of these three people from our passage today and learn how they did faith in the waiting as well as have faith in the waiting. We're first pointed towards Abel, Whose faith moved him to worship in the waiting. Abel's faith moved him to worship in the waiting. We meet Abel in Genesis, way, way, way back from Hebrews, in Genesis chapter 4, as one of the sons of Adam and Eve. Abel's the younger son, he kept flocks, and his older brother Cain worked the soil. Now both sons, they bring an offering to the Lord. And we're not told what kind of sacrifice this was. Later in scripture, different types of sacrifices are outlined. We don't know which one this was, but we do know that bringing something before the Lord, bringing an offering, bringing a sacrifice, is a way of worship. Both men bought offerings from the places that they worked. Cain bought some fruits of the soil and Abel, fat portions from the firstborn of his flock. God accepts Abel's offering of the meat, but he doesn't accept Cain's. Now on the surface, we can see the difference. Cain bought vegetables and Abel bought meat. We're not told really, though, why Abel's gift is accepted and his brother's isn't. It may be because a sacrifice of blood was required, which is what Abel provided, whereas Cain's was bloodless. It may be because Abel brought the fat portions, not just meat, but the very, very best part from his firstborn flock. However, the most important difference is that Abel's offering showed faith through his worship. Abel's offering showed faith. Through his worship, We have a God who looks at the heart, who sees through performance and looks so deeply within us. He looks at our motivations and our attitude. And so more than a matter of meat versus vegetables, this is a matter of who offered their worship in faith and who didn't. God looked at Abel and saw a faithful worshipper. And he looked at Cain and didn't. Abel had faith to worship in the waiting, to worship with a heart directed to God despite the consequences. Abel's faith and the favor favor with which God looked down on Abel, that made Cain angry. So angry that Cain killed his brother. Cain couldn't cope that by his faith, Abel was commended as righteous, that all it took was his faith. Cain realized that works alone wouldn't receive God's approval, but faith does. Abel didn't have the person of Jesus to look to, yet he still worshipped God. I wonder how much more, then, can we, by faith, worship in the waiting of our circumstances, knowing that God's promises are true and assured through Christ Jesus. Abel's faith meant that he worshipped in the waiting because he had faith that God's words were true and that God himself was worth everything and his worship cost him his life. As the Christians receiving this letter felt as though they were running out of steam, there's an encouragement here to faithfully worship as though promises are actually already fulfilled and that God has already done it. Because we know that Jesus' life and death and resurrection has secured our futures. We can worship as though God's already done it, because through Jesus Christ he has. We can learn from Abel and let faith in God's promises move us to worship in the waiting. And then we move on to Enoch, who by faith walked with God in the waiting. Enoch appears in Genesis 5, and to be honest, we don't know too much about him, but verse 19 tells us this. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a life total of 365 years, and this is the big bit. Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. Enoch walked faithfully with God. What a small but mighty thing to have been written about you. That is the reason that we're created, to walk with our creator and to please him. Enoch had fellowship with God and he journeyed with God. He sought to please him and desired to be with him. And the writer knows that only a person of faith could live in such close communion with God. And that's why Enoch's name is written here. To please God, Enoch had to be a man of faith because we're told that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So to those of us who tend to place our identity in how good we are, or certain things that we've done or achieved, or what other people think, that's our challenge. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith, trusting in him, knowing and holding on to his promises, that's what God's after. And in the same way that God looked at Abel and saw a faithful worshipper, God walked with Enoch and saw a faithful traveller alongside him. To live a life with God, to live a life walking with God, we need faith. Faith that when we seek, we will find. Faith that when we pray, he'll hear. Faith that when we walk, he will walk alongside us. Enoch had to trust in what was unseen, yet he stayed beside God in the waiting. Enoch had faith to walk with God, so I wonder, where do we need faith to move us to walk in the way that God has set out for us? Where do we need faith to help us walk on that narrow path of communion with him? Even when situations feel difficult, when we're tempted to give up like those Jewish Christians receiving these words, that certain hope that we have in God's promises can keep us on that path. As we look to the life of Enoch, let's let faith move us To walk with God in the waiting. And lastly, Noah, who by faith worked for God in the waiting. We read in Genesis 7 about Noah being divinely warned about a flood coming to wipe out the wickedness of humanity. Noah was seen as righteous to God and so was instructed to build an ark. He had to have faith to work in obedience to God's instruction to build a boat for a flood despite not even seeing a drop of rain. He had faith to believe that the flood was coming and then faith to do something about it. This was faith not only to act against circumstance, you know, no rain, but also faith to act against what the world would have been saying because the ark would have looked strange, right? But obedience to God often does. And it's difficult, and it may feel risky and costly. But by faith, we can work for God in the waiting because we know that he's got us. We know that his words are trustworthy, and so we can have a confident obedience in spite of, of what we see around us right now. Noah saw past his current circumstances and he saw spiritual realities. He saw past the dry ground but saw the truth in God's word of a flood. His faith meant that he could see what others couldn't and he acted on what he knew God would eventually accomplish. There's a quote which I love that says this, Faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. Faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. Alongside those Jewish Christians, we are being encouraged to have faith, to believe God's word and to act in obedience to it. However that makes us look, however silly or strange we may seem, we're being challenged to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen because we know that God has done it. We know that his promises are true. Let's let faith move us to work for God even in the waiting before we even see fulfillment of those promises. These individuals were commended for having faith, but really for doing faith. They were people that chose to act and live their lives on the basis of what God had promised them about the future. Some of the time, not even about their future, but the future of humanity and God's plan for it. And we can do the same. To have faith to worship God, Faith to walk with God and faith to work for God as we wait. But we have the ability and the blessing to look to the person of Jesus Christ as the revelation of God himself, a God whose promises are so good and so true, giving us confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Amen.